Welcome to the Free to Be Show. Today, I have an interesting topic. And I want you to listen for, is there a world that we can create for the space in between what we see with our eyes and what we feel in our hearts? Can we allow grace for people and have appreciation for people who are healing in the public eye? I have, uh, we'll have a really interesting conversation with the authentic man right after this. You are a blooming flower only if you could open your heart to the possibilities of you. Welcome to the Free to Be Show. Here we have conversations to free your heart, mind, and soul. I am your host, Cordelia Gaffar, the ultimate joy goddess and the possibility of joy within you. I guide women who look powerful on the outside, yet feel voiceless on the inside, to be replenished and aligned. Are you ready for the sacred experience of you? Are you ready for your soul's medicine? I call that four mind alignment, which recalibrates your body wisdom from your lotus up to your stomach up to your heart and completes your full transformation in your mind. Move and explore your lotus mind, feed and nourish your stomach mind, acknowledge and accept your heart mind, transcend your logical mind with sleep. Be free to be using ancient body wisdom in conversation, in community, and in practice. Be free to be. If you've been subscribed to the Free to Be show for a while, you'll know that my next guest has been on the show a couple of times. David Chambers, the authentic man, empowers men to create the exciting and deeply connected dating lives, sex lives, and relationships they long for by developing their true authentic selves and embodying healthy masculinity. He recently attended a uh, and uh, shared on his Instagram feed uh, an event that he attended with Russell Brand. So today we are specifically going to talk about uh, Russell Brand and, and his healing. Welcome to the Free to Be Show, David. Mm, thank you for having me back. Yeah, I, I love having experts like you here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the word expert. I always hear that word and I'm like, Who, who's that? Like me? <laughs> I know. I, I saw the, the cognitive dissidence. Yeah, you. So um, I am, you know, I, I thought that, wow, look at you. You met Russell Brand. You got on stage with him. What was that like for you? Mm, yeah, it was uh, quite surreal because it wasn't planned. It wasn't a mm. planned thing. I was at his festival. I was doing some work with a, a company I do work with that run men's circles called Men's Circle and um, was there to run those men's circles. 
and then I was going to help out a friend of mine, Bed Bidwell. He was doing some some breath work, so I was going to assist him on that. And then the the talk um, about masculinity that Russell was was hosting was with a few people I know. You know, Ben Bidwell, one of the founders of, of Men's Circle Pasco, and a couple of other people. And um, Russell turns up. Um, should we say a little bit late? <laughs> About <laughs> forty-five minutes late because he was busy doing breath work on the main stage with uh, Wim Hof, and he turns up and he looks at the the panel, and to his credit, right, he he does this. He looks at the panel and he goes, "This panel is very straight and very white." And he goes, "Is there anybody in the audience, any people of color, or any anybody who come from a different um, sexual orientation would like to get up on stage and talk?" and I will say that my legs stood me up before I really thought about standing up. And I took two steps forward and there was a moment where I kind of was like, wait, you're walking towards the stage. And one of the guys from Men's Circle, he was like, David, he, he only said to me, David, keep walking. And I was like, oh yeah, keep walking. And then I got up on the stage and I sat down and then I turned up and then I looked and I was like, oh, there's like 300 people in this room. Uh, this wasn't my plan for my day, but you know, cool. And you know, Russell is is pretty... He's a big character. He's a very big character and he, he is very gregarious and he's very jovial and he likes to take up space. Um, but he also asked some questions and wanted to know the answers about, you know, why are men struggling? Um, what's, why is it around mask? What, what is it about masculinity that's causing men to struggle? Like, how do we need to change masculinity? And he, I ended up asking a number of those questions and, and yeah, he, he he loved a lot of my answers. I heard he was talking about me for a couple of days afterwards on various stages. So, so yeah, and he was, you know, he likes to get, he likes to be short and snappy, but so he's, he, he's a fun guy to be around, um, but a very, a, a quite a character who lives in his own world in many ways. You, you feel. Mm. Wow. That's so powerful. And, you know, I often see uh, the advertisement for this uh, event and I'm like, I'm going to go next year. So do you <laughs> go every year or is this, that was just the one and only time? Mm, first time, first time I'd been there. And I must say the festival was fantastic. The festival was amazing. It was a no alcohol festival. There was um, so many amazing activities to do from breath work. That was, you know, yoga, um, movement, um, you know, men's circling as well. There was there, there was talks about masculinity. Um, there was also like, even if you do cacao ceremonies, um, ecstatic dance. But the one thing I think that was most amazing about the festival was everybody was engaged and everybody was interested in having a conversation. You know, often you go to a festival and everyone is, you know, kind of too off their face on drugs and they will want to have a conversation, but it's a certain avenue of conversation. Whereas as, as this festival you know, people were very present and they wanted to have a conversation. They wanted to talk. They wanted to engage. They were curious. They were open-minded. Um, and I had so many wonderful experiences that, that, that weekend, you know, I was, you know, after that weekend, I was like, I'm coming back next year. I'm trying to talk to the organizers and go, Hey, I want to come back and do something on my own and blah, blah, blah. So it was a, it's a really great weekend, really well held in a beautiful space. Very nice. And so on the heels of that, not too many weeks later, he blows up um, with this whole sex scandal. And like, what was your impression of that? Mm. So I think it, uh, when did it break? It was like a mid, like a Thursday. I feel like I heard about it, maybe a Wednesday or Thursday. And I remember being like, oh God, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
Like I didn't get all the details because, you know, it just kind of come through the news. And it, it's, it's interesting because I had had, um, and I'll get to the question, is like I'd been on Vipassana for, for a 10-day silent meditation retreat, for those who don't know, um, a few, maybe a month, month and a half ago. And I'd contemplated a question, and we talked about this before we got on air, and the question I contemplated was like, is there any women out there that think, feel, or believe that I raped them, right? Or sexually assaulted them? And when I say I contemplated that question, that question bounced around my mind for about five days. And it's an uncomfortable question to ask yourself, right? Because you have to yeah. be willing to be with the feelings of shame and guilt and all sorts that may occur, right? Even if you you believe all your intentions were so wonderful. So when the, the Russell stuff broke, I was like, okay, you know, I've talked about kind of rape and rape culture quite a bit in my work with, with, with women that I work with and with my partner, especially. And I was like, okay, well, is it possible that this guy who spent, you know, I don't know how many years he was pretty much high as a kite, right? doing various drugs and heroin and so forth and drinking and in the public eye and, and the party eye, you know, being very promiscuous, as he says, is it possible that he got into situations and doesn't remember as we talked about before? Mm. Is it possible that he got into situations where for him, it would all seem very consensual and, and like two people wanting to co-create a beautiful experience? Is it possible for him to get in situations where he is not fully connected to the emotions, the feelings and experiences of the woman that he's with, right? And I kind of went back into my own question that I had, and that was what I often come to is like, we, we all have an experience of maybe having a discussion with a friend, right? Or watching a movie, these are two things, where two people watch the same movie or have the same experiences. And then when you talk about it afterwards, two people had vastly different experiences of that same event. Like in, an, uh, in it's an argument, we've misheard something or we heard something more than what was said, or we reacted to one piece and we didn't really hear another piece that gave something else context. And, you know, we may miss verbal uh, cues, we may miss physical cues and so forth. And when we apply this to our sexual experiences, it puts us in a very like disconnected space of like, oh, it's, it's very likely that we have all been in spaces, right? Where what we thought was happening sexually, maybe we're thinking it's a consensual and enjoyable experience and the other person thought something different and experienced it very different, right? And this doesn't, you know, mainly I look at this from a point of view of, you know, men and women, but it can quite easily be the, the reverse. You know, I've had experiences with women where, I wasn't really consenting to what was happening. I just kind of was going along with it because I kind of thought, oh, I'm a man. I can't really say no and so forth, right? So is it possible that Russell had find himself in those sorts of situations? And in my eyes, it's like, well, yeah, of course, right? Because of the nature of perception. We often have this idea that, you know, someone who's committed rape or sexual assault is this some evil, um, malicious, cruel, um, deliberately kind of, a violent person but actually it's the everyday man and woman or the everyday man you know who isn't necessarily maybe that connected emotionally or communicate communicatively to the person he's with maybe he's high on drugs so he can't be fully connected to the other person experience maybe he's been drinking uh, maybe he has a lot of lust because even lust you know 
And many religions talk very badly about lust. And one of the reasons is, is because it's intoxicating. When we feel great lust um, for something and getting a certain uh, end result, we stop being connected to the people around us and what they actually want. You know, it's, it's the same thing that's at play when we think of, you know, capitalism and, and companies where they're just thinking about the money and they're not thinking about the more intricate details of emotion and feeling. So what came up for me around that with Russell was like, well, this is all, of course it's possible for him. And I was like, I wonder how he's going to deal with this. And, and obviously he came out of his first video. Um, and I found it very interesting that he, um, you know, kind of said that he's completely innocent. He, all of his past relationships are completely consensual, which I found a very interesting statement for someone who has so much work and so much knowledge and, and has so many incredibly wise spiritual teachers around him. Because that's quite a, that's a statement that I don't think anyone can truly make and believe. And I mean anyone, irrespective of gender, because of the nature of perception and nature of two people being in the same situation, having different experience. But then I thought it was interesting that he pitted that, the allegations against the media being out for him, which I think is yeah. a very, um, it's a very PR play, right? But I also think it's really interesting how most people look at that and they they fall into like, oh, so it must be either or. We live in a binary world, like it's either black or white. It's right or wrong. And actually, we live in a world of and. <laughs> both <laughs> things could be true at the same time, right? They could both be true. Um, if Russell is guilty, does that make Russell a bad person? No, actually, in my books. It doesn't make him a bad person. It makes him a person that has maybe done bad things, which is, you know, different. I think something that we, we need to talk about more of in society is like, we like to think of people as evil and monsters and so forth. And that makes great news and that makes great Instagram content, but it isn't realistic of who we are as people because it also makes us hide things about ourselves and our shadows and so forth. Because have we all done bad things? Definitely. Definitely. You know, as I say, and some people won't like to hear this, like I'm sure Jesus did some bad stuff in his life. You know, <laughs> I'm sure he stole. <laughs> I'm sure he lied at some point. Right. Like, that's that's the human experience. We can't be perfect all the time because we don't always have the information to do make the right decision. And sometimes with hindsight, we look back differently. So it was it's, it's been a really interesting time to kind of think about being a man, um, you know, how the world relates to allegations like this when it comes up. You know, I've just been in this real like observing pattern and talking about it. And, you know, I did a short podcast episode about which some of my thoughts, but it's been very interesting to observe Russell's decisions and choices uh, outwardly and it's been very interesting to see how people have either gone behind him and been like he's not you know he can't be guilty of these things which is interesting because how would you know how would you know if someone you know was guilty of something or not unless you've been with them the whole time all the time observing them right <laughs> you can't yeah. know right you, you really at can't all. know at all so it's it's I don't find myself falling into the, the right or wrong often in life. I'm like, I don't know, but I'm open to listening and thinking about the, the different sides and being okay with not knowing. And I think that's something in, as people in general, we really struggle with. We struggle with the kind of position of not being sure. And we struggle with the, the concept um, around looking at our own behavior and seeing that maybe the people we've met haven't received us in the way that we intended to, and that may have caused harm to other people.
So I want to acknowledge you, like your answer. First of all, I, I love that you took the time to really introspect and, um, you know, you took five days to figure out what is your stance on this, you know, and then your answer to my question was multifaceted and you brought up a lot of different issues, you know, and so I trying to think of where I want to dig in first there. First of all, I love that you acknowledge his humanity, right? And the possibility, um, like first you, you stepped back and you were like, well, wait a minute, what if this was me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so as a human, you know, it is possible that you have done something wrong. And like you said, like even the people that we idolize or maybe even worship, right, may have done something wrong. And, um, and this, I believe, is something that's super important that is often missed, um, especially on social media, because um, people like simplicity, right? They, they want like, yes or no, right or wrong. And in fact, when you're dealing with humans, it's a whole lot of gray. Mm. And, um, <laughs> and I, I would like to dedicate like the rest of this conversation to addressing the gray, you know, and appreciating the gray. I, I understand from your response also that Russell probably was most likely guided and directed by his PR team and not his spiritual team, I'm guessing. Because like, who comes out with a superlative answer like that with those kind of allegations? Like nobody, unless you got a PR, you know, person saying, this is what you must say, right? We're going to save face on the front end. And then on the back end, you know, then you can come back to your spiritual woo-woo, whatever. Um, and so in reality, more than likely, you know, he is guilty of some of that stuff. And um, even though I know I've put in the title specifically um, about Russell Brand and we've started the conversation there, let's bring it really into like the lives that we live as humans on a regular basis. You know, we are constantly evolving and healing and growing. And um, I mean, like myself, for example, right? Like last year when you were on my show, I was wearing a hijab and I was, um, I was having some conversations about um, like self-nurturing and sexuality and stuff. But this year I'm not wearing a hijab and I'm having different conversations about the exact same thing. And it's not that I don't believe what I used to believe or any of that's changed. It's just that I've evolved and I've grown and I recognize like myself as a human being multi-orgasmic is a lot more enlightening than just going with the status quo of, you know, I'll just get one in, you know? Um, and so recognizing that people are not, you know, binary, but there's, there's this, if you allow yourself, there's this 
uh, growth that's always occurring, we, you know, is there a, a world that we can create where we can see not just ourselves, but other people in that lens? Mm. I think we struggle to see people's growing. We see people often as very fixed, right? Or binary, as you said, it's like, there's a lot of people in the public eye or even in ourselves, like do, uh, the guy I know, Eddie Elsie, and he said this once on the post, it's like, we have these impossible standards for people in the public eye that we don't um, hold ourselves to, you know, where we expect them to appear to be perfect, to live flawless lives and all this kind of stuff, right? And when they don't, we, we go for them, we go at them, right? And it's like a very shadowy piece of behavior because it's like, well, we're projecting all of our kind of shame and anger that we might be feeling about ourselves, right? About how when we don't do things right or we do things wrong or the things that we've hidden, and then we project it all onto this person that's out there in the world. And it's like, well, they're also healing. They're also imperfect. You know, Russell is, has been very honest with his healing journey. Like how many other stars how many other people in the public eye would be so honest about his healing journey? And, you know, I could really commend him for that because that's not easy to do, you know? You're really putting yourself out there as someone who's like, I was deeply flawed and I did all, you know, I'm not so well-versed on his books and so forth, but, you know, I'm sure some of his behavior to cause people was, he would probably describe as, like, disgusting, right, at times, right? Like, how many people would go back and admit some of the behavior, that the things that they did, publicly in books on tv shows in podcast and say yeah what i did kind of 15 years ago was actually really bad you know and i i feel quite a lot of shame for the way that i did that like would we allow a politician to do that we wouldn't allow a politician to get away with talking about we expect that they their whole life has been flawlessly perfect but it's an impossible standard it's an impossible standard to expect of others and then there's somewhere that we're doing that to ourselves as well well you know, I live in the United States, so like we have a politician that's pretty popular. <laughs> so I don't know about the politician bit, but and and we actually hired him, and people are still considering hiring him again. So, <laughs> mm. so I don't know if that's forgiveness or grace or just insanity, but um, <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for the vast majority of people, we don't have any grace, and I. I think that it's required and I think that that should be normalized. I think for self-forgiveness and, um, and, and then grace should be normalized. Otherwise we're perpetuating the toxicity, not only of the behavior, but of demonizing people for being human. Mm. Mm -hmm. We don't yeah. want people to be human. We, we expect them to be perfect in some way. And we demonize them for not being perfect. Like, that's bizarre when you think about it. Like, we're human beings and we are all making mistakes at different levels. And we're all, um, you know, that's why I come back to perception so often. Because it's so common in my coaching to be like, what was your perception of the situation? And we see the world in this very blinkered way. Like, this is how the world is. This is how my partner is. This is how sex is. This is how people of certain colors are. This is how certain people of certain races are. We, we fix them into this, this small lane. 
And it's when we start to like open up our perception and create, create wider and wider awareness, we start to go, oh, wait a minute, the world isn't how I, I thought it was. I can start to come back from my judgments and assumptions and sometimes taking new information about making it right or wrong or true or untrue. And that's when we have, we just develop more grace for everybody and ourselves. And, you know, we, we take in people much more, but we live in a world that is, is, is still very immature in many ways. Like who is it that will often demand that there is a right way and a wrong way and a certain way that things have to happen. Like I, I did some work in schools with young boys, right? Boys, teenage boys, and it's teenage boys. They were like, no, this is how it is. And they wouldn't explain. Yeah. They wouldn't want to talk about it. They'd be like, I'm right. You're wrong. That's it. Let's move on. Or no, there's only one way to do that. Or when someone does that, that means that. And it's like, actually, it's a very immature way in which we operate in the world in this very black and white way. But actually, you know, we need to mature out of this, actually, to really allow people to heal because what's one of the reasons that people don't do the healing work they need shame why mm -hmm. they believe that other people will shame them other people think they're bad and wrong so it stops them from doing the healing work it stops them from improving their relationships it stops them from improving their sex lives it stops them from improving uh, improving their health all because there's a shame of even admitting that there's something that needs to be improved on that they believe they will receive from other people and you know, I believe that a lot of this is, comes down to the immaturity of the kind of consciousness of, of most of the planet, especially in our media, in our um, politics. You know, it's like it's how we've experienced the world shaming us so much that it just continues. It just the shame keeps kind of cyclically occurring and coming up for people. I like putting you on solo view because like when you're making really important points, I'm just like, people just need to see you with that. And yeah, shame is the lowest vibration and sadly the vibration that the whole world is perpetuated on because it keeps, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the patriarchy in control, you know, and it, and it, uh, takes responsibility away from the individual. And as you were saying, you know, the immature choices that we make on a daily basis, we think that we're justified in that. And it's not about being justified. It's about allowing yourself to be and evolve. And the only way to do that is to really understand the gift of, hu of being human and having a, a, a vessel such as this body, right? So we can feel things and have sensations and have emotions. And emotions are the bridge, you know, between us and the spiritual world that can help the healing and the evolution happen. And when we, you know, close the door on that, it's like, do not feel um, and think air quotes here, logically, right? There's only yes and no, and there's perfection and you're not it, you know? And, and that is just, <laughs> it's an possible existence to have it's an impossible standard to keep and um it keeps us unfulfilled in our relationships you know and i i imagine with you know the work you're doing with men it keeps them from growing up right or yeah, maturing yeah, i guess if we're going to stick with that word <laughs> yeah <laughs> But we're, you know, effectively a bunch of little kids running around, you know, throwing darts at each other. And, um, you know, 
all in the name of, I don't know, all in the name of what? What's the purpose of this? Mm, what's in the purpose of us running around like little kids? I think it's, you know, protection. You know, protecting mm. ourselves is a big part of this. You know, it's this, we've got this little ego suit that we exist inside of that's trying to keep us safe from harm, from ridicule, from um, from pain, from, from, you know, each person has their own different type of special speciality of ego that's protecting them in some way. And there's something, what I find really interesting is we don't always observe that in other people. Like, you know, we, one of the things that I, I do a lot in my work is, if a client comes to me and they're like, oh, my partner is like cruel and evil or malicious or someone, you know, they're dating is that way. I ask them, what is the, what are they trying to protect themselves from? Like, what are they, tell me, what, what do you see in their actions? What are they trying to protect themselves from? And they go, usually there's a like, oh, nothing. I'm like, no, but let's, let's look. Like, what do you know about them as a person? Like, what's their past pain? And like, what do they get triggered by? Like, blah, 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 blah. And like, the, the, the deeper we get with that question, they're like, oh, they're trying to protect themselves from hurt. They're trying to protect themselves from losing their livelihood. They're trying to protect themselves from um, embarrassment and ostracization um, and all these, or rejection, all these sorts of things. And we come to, we're like, ah, oh, their actions make a lot more sense. And, you know, like even we look at um, your former illustrious leader, you know, and it's like, what's he trying to protect himself from? The idea that he doesn't think he's good enough. He's looking to heal his own father wound by being successful enough, by having enough power that, you know, no one can hurt him and that he has some, some control in his life. And that's his driving thing. It's just like there's a little, there's a little blonde little boy in there who just wants to feel important and powerful. And it's not, it's not necessarily cruelty. It's in the same way that if we saw a five or six-year-old child acting like that in the schoolyard, we'd have compassion for them. We might hold them accountable to their actions, right? Because compassion does not mean that uh, accountability goes out, out the window, but you can hold someone accountable in a compassionate way, right? And obviously people might say, oh, if you've done that once or twice, what do you do then afterwards? Then you may get firmer, but we can still have compassion for people like for what they've been through, what they're going through. I think it's one of the things we're the most shortage of in our society now is, is compassion, like especially the way we talk about, I follow a lot of football, soccer, and the way that we talk about players, like as if they were machines and robots and they're not human beings. It's like, this is incredible. Don't get me started on sports. <laughs> Cause like, I feel like that's the new plantation system. So like I could go on for days on that, but that's why they talk about them that way. You know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. they, to, to, to the vast majority, they don't under, even understand the conditioning around why. And it's the same thing here with American football. Um, mm -hmm. But I do love that you, that you brought up uh, compassion. And I love the question that you ask in your sessions, you know, bring it back to the truth. What's that person's filter? What is it? What is it that they're protecting themselves? From? What is it that they require? What are their needs? You know? And um, we don't, that's how you get to the place of giving grace. You know, like it, it's, you can't just put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You have to go through that thought process, right? 
what do they need? What are they screaming out for here? What's happening? You know, what's, what's the inner world and how can you support them in that? And so, um, and I also like what you said about our illustrious leader, because I, I often say that I'm grateful for him to which I get these interesting contorted facial expressions. So, um, but I'm, <laughs> I am so very grateful because without that example, right, then we wouldn't uh, have a, a better understanding of the people in front of us, you know? And so again, bringing it back to we got these public figures that do crazy stuff and we probably have a friend that does crazy stuff. It might even be our partner, you know, it might be our best friend. It might be our child, you know, and this is where you get to have compassion and grace for the people in your lives and for yourselves and just recognize this is humanity. You know, I, I feel like we, normalize saying that's the way the world is but what if that's the way humans are and recognizing the reality of the human experience giving unburdening your heart right unburdening your own mind to to love and to forgive and um and to maybe even see this as a possibility and an option, an opportunity for you to heal too. You know, mm -hmm. people get triggered by news and information because maybe they experience a shadow of that, you know? And um, yeah. So I, I really, really appreciate your, um, your insight on this and, on this particular topic and on healing in general and, and the way that, um, that we're able to talk about all of these things. And like, we're, we're bringing in a lot of stuff and a really short space of time, you know, and they're like, there are times when I'm just like, who can I talk to about these things? And I can just really just expand it. So you're one of those people. So thank mm. you for that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Are there any final thoughts you have on this or is there anything else you want to put in the space while mm. we're here today? There's something you said there about like, if we get triggered by news, I think it, you know, and when we trigger, we get triggered, sometimes a trigger will cause us to feel intense emotions, but the trigger can also cause us to shut down as well. That's something I see, you know, work with quite a lot of men and that's their response to things that trigger them. And I think we these are these are learning opportunities, you know, like to acknowledge that there are there are countless women in the world who have been at the hands of sexual abuse and rape, and, and a lot of that has been very mindlessly done by men. Some of it has been maliciously done, right? Where there was a clear and active like, no, go away, leave me alone, and it's been completely disregarded, right? And I say this to men it's like well you may feel like you've never done that thing right never completely disregarded consent and so forth but where were the the small micro moments in your in your life in your relationship with your partner with your children where you see that you do kind of disregard a no and you push 
because that's that's where we can start to look and go oh yeah like or you can even ask yourself like where do other people do that to me how do i feel when that happens you know when my partner when i say no to my partner and they keep pushing they keep pushing they keep pushing or they completely disregard what i've said like how does that feel for you because then we can that's empathy we can get into more empathy but also we can look at like ah this behavior isn't good for me isn't good for the world isn't good for my relationship and we can start to change when we leap to the that's wrong or that that person's wrong that person's right it actually gets in the way of us actually really stepping into empathy it gets in the way of us actually really learning because we're just jumping to a um, decision or choice or opinion without really exploring the two different ends or the spectrum of which those two opinions may lie and the the greatest learning in my opinion is by exploring the areas that we wouldn't normally go to so that we can kind of think about like as a man and say, okay, what is it? God, have I, as the question I put, have I ever raped or sexually assaulted somebody? Like, and putting yourself in a scenario where you might have been all jovial and think this is great and she didn't, you know, and actually sit with that thought process for five minutes and feel that and then be like, oh God, that feels horrible. No wonder women feel so strongly about this because I think often with when it comes to um, rape and sexual assault, not all men, but many men just back away from it as a topic because it's really uncomfortable. And I, I invite a lot of men to step into that more and more, to feel that because that will inform their decisions and choices and their opinions. Um, but I think it's for all of us to kind of step into like wondering like, where do I override people's no's? Where do I allow other people to override my no? And where do I not speak up and say, I don't want that or or I do want that. Like this, there's a there's learning for us all to do from different angles in, in cases like this. Yeah, I like that you brought in um, the inner workings, or I guess the behind the scenes of what consent is. Right, talking about boundaries and limits and things like that, and we don't really. That's something that I think should be part of our sex education classes, right? And maybe mm, all, you know, like put it in all the classes, you know, when we talk about human history, when we talk about health and things like that, I don't, I think that there's a, there's not an understanding of what consent is. It's so far beyond yes and no, you know, like you, I feel like you alluded to that in your response there. And so um, I've been talking about consent and boundaries and limits more and more. You know, it's, it's interesting because I bring it in. I'm, I, I'm just like, I'm not sure how much you know about this, but I mean, in the BDMS world, there's like, like whole contracts and like, they're really good. They're really, really good. And like if regular, like if we had to sign that to get married, oh, you know, like marriages would probably last. <laughs> and i know it sounds odd but you know i even think like as a muslim we we do have marriage contracts and and um it's interestingly enough originally um i think these kind of things were included in the marriage contracts boundaries and limits and stuff like that you know but um with colonization, like everything else, everything got sanitized, right? To normalize toxicity and override consent and um, just water it down to it's yes or no. <laughs> and mm. as we've said in this entire conversation, there's a whole lot of gray with humans. So that's more than yes and no, you know? So, mm. yeah. 
Thank you for that. Any last thoughts on consent? Or I, I mean, I don't want a tangent at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, consent is probably one of the most important things to learn and the subtleties of consent um, to learn about. Like, you know, and there's, there's some wonderful books out there. There's some wonderful teachers about consent. And we often think of consent as yes and no, but there's also maybe. And then there's this, the gap between the yes and the maybe and the maybe and the no, you know, the spectrum of consent. You know, if someone says, do you want a cup of tea? You're like, hmm, do I want a cup of tea? Maybe I want a cup of tea. Like what, what sort of tea? You know, that sort of thing, you know, those sorts yeah. of questioning that starts to come in because there's intricate details. And is there an expectation of, is there an expectation attached to that tea? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot around consent that we can really explore, um, especially in partnership, that beyond just a yes or no, because a yes or no is very limiting. And that's, I think, one of the biggest problems with with our view of consent is that we only think it's yes or no. We want it to be black or white, right or wrong. Um, and we 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 don't allow ourselves to be in the like, I'm a 70 I'm a 70% yes and I'm a 30% no. And to have someone go, okay, I get it. So what would what would need to happen to make that a hundred percent yes for you? Like, you know, conversations like that in a relationship or even in a workplace could be transformative to how we work yeah. together, how we um, communicate, interact with each other, the, the quality of what we create. So, you know, I think consent is, is like I've, I've, I've done some very embodied work around consent um, in, in retreats and so forth, especially uh, in a sexual nature, because that really gives you a very sharp edge of it and being talked through imagine you're aware of like Betty Martin's weed of consent, for instance. And, you know, there's, there's some beautiful light sides of like being a giver and, and um, a taker and a receiver, but there's also a shadow to all of those sides. And we often don't think of those, but actually those are the pieces that we really need to, to learn about when it comes to consent. So I think this consent is a, is a huge, huge topic that is wonderful because I do some work with a school, not school with a, a company that has a platform in schools and they are bringing a lot of this sort of work. But, you know, when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, no one even uttered the words about consent. Like, I don't think consent was a real topic of conversation until I'd say about 19 years ago, I feel like it started to kind of come out in my world. Like, not so 19 years ago, sorry, more like like nine years ago that it started to come out. I sometimes forget my age. Um, nine years ago that it started to come out as like a thing that we have to think about and talk about, you know? And man, it's 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 so important for everybody's safety and, and well-being. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that we have really covered the spectrum. <laughs> on you know, appreciation for healing in public and all the things that are required when we're having conversations like this. And um, you know, I invite those of you who are viewing and listening to, uh, to have grace with yourself, to have grace with others and do your research on consent. And I will get some resources from David to put in the show notes and um, you know, share this with another heart, share this with another soul. And until next week, be free. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you for being present for the Free to Be Show with the possibility of joy within you. Now go into the oceans of your mind and integrate and stimulate the body wisdom within you today. 
Create the remainder of your day differently. Be a stand for who you be. Experiment with using your voice. And if you require a soft place to land in community, connect with me at theultimatejoygoddess.com. Together we will explore the joy within you. Until next week, be free.